Well, what's going on, everybody? If you are new, I'm Brad. Welcome to Let's Talk Movies. Welcome to the show, and happy Tuesday night. Hope you all are doing awesome tonight. <clears throat> so sorry I had to uh, I had to cancel last night. I, I had every intention of doing this show last night, but uh, the, the winter crap got a hold of me. I, I wasn't feeling great. Still not feeling 100%. It's all sinus crap which in Kentucky we've gotten um we've gotten rain snow and everything in between for the last 24 hours so and there's more come tonight and it's cold so uh I think the the big temperature switcheroo just it, it messes with you but so glad we're here tonight uh lots to talk about tonight on the show obviously we're going to talk Hellraiser that's the biggie uh I've I did a spoiler free review of Hellraiser earlier in uh earlier in the week um, that drop, go ahead, like that, leave it a, leave it a like, the, the click, do all, do all the all the standard YouTuber. I'm an influencer. I influence people. No, I don't. Uh, go, <laughs> go do all of that crap. Uh, check out my spoiler-free Hellraiser review. But I've wanted to check this one out for a while. I, as I said in that video, one of my goals uh, for this year was to go back and check out some of those uh, th- those other horror films from last year that I didn't get to I, I just I didn't get to for time purposes and everything else that was going on everything else that's still going on um so Hellraiser was, a top, was at the top of my list I really wanted to go check that one out um and then also tonight we're also going to talk episode number two and three of The Last of Us didn't get a chance to do a recap of those um I was posting YouTube shorts I, I was putting little shorts up or like like an Instagram reel type thing uh of just like my little like less than a minute reaction to those things, but didn't get one up. Um, but those were two absolutely incredible episodes, especially uh, the one with Bill and Frank. That was amazing. If you if you watch The Last of Us, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, and then a weird one. This is not a film that we would normally talk about on here, I guess. Uh, even though it is, let's talk movies. So I mean, I guess we can talk any kind of movie, but. A Man Called Otto, which is Tom Hanks' newest film. My wife and I went and saw it the other night, and it was absolutely amazing. And one of the first things I said when I left the theater, I said, I got to talk about this on my next episode because it was it was amazing. I was like, that this is really, really beautiful. Um, a hell of a performance by Tom Hanks. How it was not uh, in the running for an Oscar absolutely blow, baffles me. I don't understand how you could have a film like that um, and not at least give it some type of Oscar nomination, whether it's for Best Actor, Best Picture, whatever, anything. But we all know how that goes. I mean, the Oscars is, you know, the Oscars is the Oscars. I mean, yes, it's prestigious. Yes, it's it's important and, and we enjoy it. But it's does it does it really mean anything? If you're not nominated for an Oscar, does it really mean anything about your film? Does it does it is it a real detractor from your film? No, not at all. So, uh. Listen, if you're out there right now and you are listening, please be sure to leave this episode a like. Uh, I will be sure to split it up into different segments. So I'll split up the, I know I haven't done that in a while, but I'm going to split up the Last of Us segment um, and I'll break that out in a separate video. I'll split up the Hellraiser segment, the spoiler talk. I'll split that up in another video and the same for, same thing for the, uh, let's talk, or the, the Let's Talk Auto. Oh, man. Um, the A Man Called Auto. Uh review so uh gory tiger is in the house what up buddy how you doing man i didn't get a live show in last week either and listen i know i was thinking about this earlier we haven't had a brand new episode of purely and simply evil in a little while which is our horror show and 
I am gonna get that in. I promise. Uh, I'm I'm kind of waiting on Miguel to be back for that one. Um, I think Elm Street five. Yes, it's five. Dream uh, Dream Master. Um, or no, Dream Child. Is that where we left off? I think so. I think it was Dream Child. Uh, whichever one. We'll we'll pick back up with those as soon as Miguel's back. Speaking of, he sends his love and hopefully. Um, hopefully Miguel will be back very, very soon. I, we're, we're thinking it should be, uh, fairly soon. He's looking at, um, we're looking at a couple of weeks, maybe tops, and then you'll get to see his beautiful, lovely face back on here again. And you won't just be stuck with me all the time because I know you've hated it. You don't have to lie. It's okay. I know you all hate me. It's part of the deal. I get it. I get not being the fun one. I understand. <laughs> um, so let's do this. I, I want to jump in, and, and there's a lot, a lot to cover tonight, and I want to hop in here. Um, let's talk a man called Otto first. So my wife and I went date night. Uh, we went to Covington. To, actually, no, we, we went to Newport first, which is just over the Ohio River across from Cincinnati. And we uh, there, there's this whole little cool complex with it. It's like a it's like a mall, but there's restaurants, and there's a movie theater, and there's all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, but we went to, uh, um, an a they have an AMC there, and we wanted to see a movie. And we were like, well, we're going to go see this. So we went and saw A Man Called Otto, and it was absolutely stunning. It was amazing. It, it was a pretty long film. It was over two hours long. The idea behind A Man Called Otto, it's based on a novel, and it's that Tom Hanks is a widower. His wife has died, um, and he is basically living in a state of grief. He's not happy with his life. Um, his entire purpose was living for her. Um, they have no children. And, you know, basically it, it opens on this really, really broken character. And it's strange seeing Tom Hanks, you know, we're used to Tom Hanks being a a bubbly person, being a, a fun person, a fun actor. But it was interesting seeing him in this type of role. Uh, it, it, it let him and his acting chops shine in a way that I, I don't know if I've ever really seen before. It was pretty cool. My glasses are fogging up. I'm going to take these guys off for a little bit. Um, but it, it was really, really cool to see Tom Hanks kind of in a different style of acting than I guess he were, we would really be used to, but we opened on this really, really broken, damaged person. And you know, he, it, it, it does not shy away from the dark side of mental health and depression and the crazy things that that can do to a person, which I, I commend it for. I commend it for going there and, and staying there. You really get a sense of this person is broken. They basically in their eyes don't have anything to live for. And they are, um, they're, they're really, really struggling to find purpose in, in the world. And it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, switch between there are, there are definitely darker drama elements to it, but it's also there are very comedic elements and there it's a very it's a it's a really cool balance between a feel good meal a feel good meal. I can't speak tonight for some reason. Apparently when you're stuffed up, you can't speak. Um, but it, it's a very good balance between a a feel good movie and a drama film 
and a, a heartbreaking film. It's it's a very cool balance between all of those things. I think it's really, really well done in that regard. And I can't speak for the novelization. I'm not sure whether the book is done in the same way or what types of changes um, were how the movie was different from the book. But nevertheless, we find this very broken man and we slowly reveal bits and pieces about him throughout the film. It really takes the entire two hour duration of the film for you to get a full picture of why he's this way, because you get the sense that there's more going on than just his wife dying. You know, people lose people every day and that doesn't make it okay. Or that doesn't make it right. But you know, you get the sense that he he quite literally has nothing else to his name. And, you know, he he's well, he appears well put together. He had a great job. He obviously is a hard worker. He's obviously very on top of his little community that he lives in. He lives in this kind of gated, um, like apartment complex type thing with all of these other people. It's not a senior living or an assisted living place or anything like that. But he's got all of these other people of all different ages and uh, ethnicities and all kinds of things living next to him. And it's funny because a lot of the comedic elements come from Tom Hanks being uh, like just distraught and so irritated with the world around him and with everybody around him. You know, no, nobody is up to his standard of living. Nobody is, uh, nobody's quite good enough for him in a sense he, you know it, it, the very opening scene he uh without spoiling too much he's in a store and um he, he's trying to buy something and there's an issue with what he's trying to buy and it's like nobody like he i mean he just keeps looking at people and he's like idiots like every like everybody's an idiot nobody nobody's smart enough for him nobody you know and he's very irritated by the world he's very agitated by the world around him he basically is very shut off from everything uh, he's not seeing in color, he's seeing in black and white, essentially. That's basically the, the idea behind his, his mental state. And throughout the film, things keep happening that uh, allow us to get a glimpse into his past. And it's really cool when these flashbacks happen and when we get to dive into his past because his younger self is played by none other than his son. What is his son's name? Let me see. A man, a man called Otto. A man, that's what I'm, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a man called Otto. There it is. Uh, what is Tom Hanks' son's name? Truman Hanks. Yes, Truman Hanks. Um, it plays the younger version of him, which is really, really cool to see. Uh, dude looks, his son is identical to him. Like, you would 100% be like, yep, that is a young Tom Hanks. Um, but it's cool when we get those flashbacks because not only are they well done for the different time periods that we jump to, but it's really, really cool to see his son portraying him. And that's where, honestly, some of the more interesting pieces of the film come from those flashbacks. They come from the moments where we get to dive into his past and we get little tidbits. It's like breadcrumbs. Like we slowly get little bits and pieces of why he has become this way throughout the film. And it's really, really well written and it's really, really done in that regard. The, the moral of the film and the, the lesson that is being taught throughout this film is that you always have a reason to live and you always have to find a reason to keep going, to keep pushing, to keep living your life. And it's done in a really cool way because it takes the things that annoyed him the most, which were the people around him, and it uses people and it uses certain circumstances, again, without spoiling the film, because I definitely think this is one 
that everybody should go see for themselves. But it uses people to as, as the gateway to show him reasons to keep going, reasons to keep living, even though, yes, he's lost his wife. Yes, he's retiring from his job that he he's known forever. You know, he basically the life that he knew is gone, and it's he does he doesn't know how to move on and how to uh, how how to live past that. It's like he's hit a wall and he does he he can't get around the wall. He can't see, and he basically stops trying. He stops trying to live. He stops trying to find a reason to keep going, and and that's where we find him. And throughout the film. It, it's very much about finding a reason to live and finding a reason to keep going. And it uses people to do that, uh, specifically the people that he's living around, the people that annoy him the most, uh, his neighbors. So it's a really, really well done film. I encourage everybody to go um, to go check this one out for yourself. It's a good lesson for us all. I mean, I think you could say that for anybody. I, I, could, I know I can say it about me. I mean, you, we we all let our, our bills and uh, our, our health and the people around us and you know all of the negativity of the world and change and our jobs and things like that. We let all of that get in the way of the things that we really care about and the things that we love. And I think this film is a really really great depiction of what mental health can do to people, and it's a really really good depiction of uh, of finding that reason to keep going it's a really cool life lesson so it's it's like a 9.8 out of 10 for me i really really enjoyed it uh, much more than i thought i would so definitely go check out a man called Otto. uh rosalia's in the chat what's up rosalia she said hey brad also said i like comedy hanks yeah man tom hanks is it's funny because i had only ever i'm not saying he's never had a more diverse role i mean if you look at forrest gump forrest gump was a little bit of everything but um we're used to seeing Tom Hanks in that comedic element. So, and, and yes, there are comedic elements to this. There were actually some moments that were pretty funny in this film. Um, but it, it's kind of funny seeing him as a grump and as kind of an angry person because that's just, that's so not how Tom Hanks is in real life. You know what I mean? It, it, was, it was a cool, it was cool to see him in that different element. And, and again, that's what makes the film so cool is it's a, it, it's a really nice balance between comedy and between drama and between heartbreak and between a feel-good film it was a really really cool uh really well done balance between the two it's very well written so i enjoyed it a lot um sorry i have to keep taking drinks i'm i'm all stuffed up and now that i'm sitting down here i'm in the basement and i'm like um you know i'm just getting congested again so uh so let's do this Let's talk The Last of Us first. We'll get to, um, we'll end up getting to um, to Hellraiser last because Hellraiser is probably where we're going to spend the majority of our time. Episode number two and three of The Last of Us uh, continues to break records, not only for HBO, but um, it. I think I had seen there was like a crazy increase even from there was a big increase from episode one to episode two. But then even to episode three, there was an even bigger increase uh, of people watching it. So it's obviously catching on. People are obviously um, beginning to open their eyes to what this story is. And it's it's really, really well done. Um, my wife, who I listen, I tried to get her to watch The Walking Dead for a long time with me. And she was like, nope, can't do it. Don't want to. 
have no interest, whatever. I was like, okay, okay, okay. But when The Last of Us comes out, you're watching it with me. It's going to happen. And she has absolutely loved it so far. We actually missed it on Sunday night. We were busy. Did We weren't home. Didn't get a chance to watch it Sunday night. So we watched it last night before I was going to do this show. And then I, 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 I was tired. I didn't feel great. Um, so we watched uh, Long, Long, Long Time. Is that what it was called? Long, Long Time? Episode number three. We watched that last night. And I was like, wow, that was really, really well done. Um, but she, she was egging me on to watch it. So I, I know she's enjoying it. Um, let's talk episode two first, since that's the older one. Um, by the way, there are spoilers. So if you've not seen The Last of Us, I am going to talk spoilers because it, there's about no way you possibly could. Uh, let me. The thing that strikes me the most about especially these two episodes is that we're really starting to see Joel's arc, even already, which... There, are, I believe there are supposed to be eight or nine, I think nine episodes this season. So we're going to have to uh, kind of showcase Joel's arc very, very quickly. And as we talked about in the previous episode, or episode two episodes ago, whenever that was when the first episode dropped, The Last of Us is very much a story about parenthood and about what it means to be a parent and what it means to be a father. And we're starting to see Joel slip back into those things. And it's little things. Um, even if you look at Joel's look, Joel's outlook and his perception about Ellie and about this mission that they're on at the beginning of episode two, when he's sitting there and he's like, if she so much as twitches and Ellie goes, they're like, you know, she's doing her thing and it's like a joke. And it was pretty funny. But if you look at Joel at the beginning of episode two versus Joel at the beginning or at the end of episode number three, it's like a completely different person. It's like a complete transformation. Even already, and we still have, we have such sites to show you as we're going to talk in Hellraiser. But, uh, yeah, Rosalia, you have to get HBO Max. You have to watch this show. It's so good, man. You can actually... Let me double-check something. Um, I believe... Let me double-check this. Yeah, you can... Yeah, you can watch episode one of The Last of Us for free on the HBO Max website. You can watch the entire thing for free, episode one. It's about an hour and a half long. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I saw, yeah, I remember seeing that a couple days ago. I was like, I feel like you can do that. Um, yeah, so both of you guys, Gory, you can watch it too. It's free on the HBO Max website. Go watch episode one, and then after episode one, I'm sure they're trying to get you... They're, they're trying to get your feet wet, trying to get you interested, and then you have to pay for HBO Max. But it, it's really, really well done. And I, I want you guys here, if you want to come back in about 15 minutes or so, I, unless you don't care to be spoiled. If you already know the story, that's cool, too. Um, I don't want to spoil this for you, though, because it's it's really, really, really good. Um, especially, I, like, I was somebody who played the games. I already knew the story going in. So it, it's a different kind of cool to see it evolve and to see it actually play out in, in even the little slight differences but I couldn't imagine being somebody experiencing this for the first time like it's been cool to see Julia experience it for the first time because you know she's like 
holy crap, this is amazing. This is really, really cool to see. Uh, and, and she's loved it. It's really emotional. It's, it's very, it's definitely got horror elements to it, but, um, so I, I encourage you guys to go, um, to go watch it. Oh, cool. So you have HBO max, so you can check it out. Sweet deal. Um, but the, the thing that I think, I think Tess was again, spoilers. Um, Tess was the thing that lit the match for Joel's arc to to really begin and for for him to see the value in this mission and i think if i'm i'm kind of going back and forth between the two episodes if you think about when tess said show me your arm um when she grabs she grabs ellie's uh her arm and shows her when she when uh right before tess dies um, and she says, Joel, this is real. Like, this is, this is real. This is not, you know, th- this is not like all the stories you've heard about people trying to find a cure. This is actual, you can actually do something here. Um, and I think when Joel looks at her at the end of the current episode of long, long time, and I don't know why I can't say that word long, long time. There we go. When he looks at Ellie at the end of long, long time, and he says, show me your arm one more time. I think it's it, it was really really cool. That was a cool parallel between like he's gonna check one more time just to make sure, and he's like, okay, I'm in. After that, he's like, all right, I got it, I'm in. Let's do this thing. But even little things, we're starting to see him act like a parent now. Uh, when uh, again, this is episode three, but when Joel and Ellie are walking down the street, um, kind of on their hike to Frank and uh, Bill and Frank's house. And he says, we're going to cut through here. There's things over there you shouldn't see. That's very parental. Uh, when they get in the truck and she doesn't even, she doesn't necessarily even know how to use the seatbelt and he buckles her in for her and stuff like that. Like, it's just, is really cool um, to see that kind of happening and to see that shift in his character happening. Um, Rosalia asked, do you need to know the game in order to watch this? No, you do not. Um, it's very, very faithful to the game. There are, I say that in the last episode was a pretty big deviation, but it wasn't, I've seen a few people saying that episode three was a big deviation from the game. And yes, it was a deviation in a sense, but it was more of an expansion on the game. It wasn't, they had to cut a few things out logistically. Um, but it, it's basically, it, I don't know. There, there's a there's a companion podcast which is really really cool with Neil Druckmann and Craig Mason, who Neil Druckmann created the games at Naughty Dog, and Craig Mason is the showrunner. He was the showrunner for Chernobyl when that was on HBO Max, and he's now doing the Last of Us adaptation. And they had said something really interesting on there on the first episode of the podcast talking about you know in a video game you always have to have action you always have to have something happening to keep the 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 player engaged in the story even though the story is incredible in and of itself but with the tv show you can expand on little pieces of the game that wouldn't have necessarily worked and the same thing with the game you don't need quite as much action you can have more storytelling and more drama uh, in the TV show. So I think they there are things that they don't necessarily cut anything out of the of the TV show. So what the point I'm getting at is no, you don't have to know the game um, to watch the TV show. But 
when you have seen both, it's kind of cool to go back and forth and be like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, I see I see what they did there. They expanded on this. Or, oh, okay, they cut that out. We're getting there a different way. But it's it, it's the same events. It's the same things happening. We're, we're leading up to the same place. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Gory said, I've never played the game, but I hear good things. Dude, the game is absolutely it's remarkable. It is maybe I, I go back and forth between what my favorite video game is, uh, but it's it's up there with Resident Evil 4. It's in my top two, maybe. It might be my favorite, honestly. I haven't finished playing part two yet. I haven't finished it. Uh, I've I got about a f- quarter maybe of the way through part two. And then I, I kind of fell off of it. But I, I, I actually know the story of what I know how part two ends. I just haven't actually played it for myself yet. I pulled a Miguel. What Miguel does when a new video game comes out, because he don't want to sit and play the whole thing, uh, Miguel will actually just watch all of the cutscenes on YouTube <laughs> so that he doesn't have to sit and play it. He'll read the story and watch all the cutscenes and be like, ah, I know what happens. It's like watching a movie. So, But I like a game with a story. I'm, I've always been somebody. That's why I like Resident Evil so much. I'm not a Call of Duty person. I'm not a mindless sit-and-play person. I need a story. I need it to feel like I'm watching a movie or like I'm I'm actually making a story play out for myself. I think that's kind of cool. But going back to episode two, something that I really enjoyed what they did, uh, and this is kind of naturally where we're falling in the story as well, but I love the fact that we're starting to see nature taking the planet back. I think that's really cool. Julia had even commented on the fact that it's really anytime that you can see how nature takes everything back um, into its possession is really, really cool. It's cool seeing the city grown over. There's something beautiful about it. I mean, some of the cinematography and the way that it was shot just it's beautiful to see and it's very it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's very destructive and it's very haunting and uh it's not natural for us because we're we're very used to seeing society and seeing infrastructure in a very specific way and i think it's really really cool seeing how nature has taken it back. There, there was one scene specifically, you know, if you've seen the episode, you'll know what I'm talking about, where it shows a restaurant as they're kind of making their way through the city. And there's, you know, the tablecloth and the wine glasses and everything are still set up, but there's moss grown all over everything. And the way that the buildings are kind of starting to deteriorate and collide into each other and um, just the way that nature is taking the, the world back, it's really, really cool to see. Um, but the the environment that we're now being exposed to is really really cool. Episode one was very much about a introducing us to our our main characters, and also introducing us to the rules of the world, to the rules of Fedra and the Fireflies, and kind of the way that things work now. Because if you think about it, The Last of Us is twenty years after the fall of modern day infrastructure and modern day society. So things would have very, very generously changed in those 20 years. So um, it's kind of cool that now we're getting to a point where it's like, okay, we're starting to see the outside world. We can see how, you know, because we've seen a lot of Boston, we've seen a lot of where, uh, of Texas, where Joel and Ellie were, or not Joel and Ellie, um, where Joel and Sarah and Tommy, who were, was Joel's daughter, was from. But it's pretty cool being able to see how 
the world has changed and how things have changed and how kind of the dynamic between people has changed. Even in episode three, now that when um, when in the flashback scene, it, well, there's multiple flashback scenes in episode three, but when Tess and Joel are there at Bill's compound and they're having lunch with them and things like that, and they're they're sitting there drinking their wine, and right before they go to leave. Bill says, you know, we'll be fine, whatever. Tess is talking to Frank on the way out. And Joel says, you're going to have to start watching out for people because there will be raiders that'll come in the middle of the night and they'll try to take what you have. They'll knock down the fences. And Bill says, we'll be fine. And of course, eventually that ends up happening. Joel was correct. So I I think in that moment, Bill earned a lot of respect for Joel because I think he, he, while he may not like Joel, he realizes that uh, he was right. Like he, Joel's been out there. Joel knows what's going on. Because if you have to think, Bill and Frank were basically confined to this world. Now, yes, Frank had seen a little bit more, I guess, than Bill had. But Bill had basically stayed on his compound since, um, since the end of the world, you know. Yeah, Rosalia, uh, she said, for sure, it's scary to think of a future like that. It is, and it's something, I've talked about this before, and it's very, it's weird, because one of the things I love about that subgenre, about the zombie subgenre of horror, is that it's very interesting to see, it's like the, I've said this before, it's the ultimate social experiment of what do people do when everything that they know and love is flipped upside down and that's that's a cool concept and it's cool to see you know even like from a societal standpoint like how we would handle that even thinking back to covid look at how i know there's the scary c word like i mean legit think about like what happened when covid hit and everything shut down and we were basically just in limbo and everybody was scared to be around each other. I mean, it would, it, it would just be uh, something like this where people are attacking each other and things like that. It would be, it would be pure chaos. It'd be terrifying, but uh, it, it, it was interesting. They, I thought that they did it really, really well. Um, Whoa, whoa, shoot, all you guys just came in here, dang. Uh, SBC Bird, what's going on, man? He says, hey, bro, how you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. I'm better now that you all are here. Uh, J-Dead's in the house. What up, brother? And uh, he, she, we big boobs is going on. Mr. Nick Cage himself. That profile picture, I have always loved it, man. (laughs) That's always been the coolest profile picture. Uh, He says, yep, you're sitting here talking some Last of Us, guys. So if if you've watched The Last of Us, sweet. If you haven't and you know the story, sweet. If you're trying to avoid spoilers, I love you. We're going to talk Hellraiser in just a little bit. Uh, So we are going to get to Hellraiser in just a little bit, but uh, we're kind of recapping the last couple of episodes of The Last of Us, too. Uh, Where was I? I don't even know what I was talking about. I've been kind of jumping around between the two episodes. Um, Oh! episode two dude clickers if you don't know what clickers are i'm not even well i i guess i have to tell you uh (laughs) um episode number two introduced us to clickers which is a a variant um a, a variant zombie or a variant form of infected where the fungus has grown over top of their eyes and basically the only way that they can they can see but they cannot hear and basically the only way that they can uh, navigate is by making a 
by making a clicking sound with their with their voice. So uh, it, it's actually really really cool, and um, they're pretty terrifying. Even in the video game, they're pretty terrifying uh, forms of infected, and it was really cool the way we did that. Uh, one thing that I loved, and they didn't do this in the game, and I was like, that is an absolutely genius idea. Is this idea that the fungus is connected. So if you step on the fungus even a mile away and that is connected like a tripwire to other infected, they know where you are. They're coming. They're running. They're on their way. And that actually comes back at the end of episode two. But seeing the clickers in real life and the fact I was so, so happy that they went prosthetic. They went practical with the effects. It wasn't CGI. I love that. I absolutely love that. I am all when it comes to the zombie subgenre, I am always always in for practical effects. Every single time, always. I am always down for practical. Um and I think it was done really really well. They were scary. We didn't see them. We didn't stay on clickers for a long time. It was always flashy in a in a running scene or behind glass. Like it, it was done really really well to where there's still magic there. There's still movie magic. There's still, honestly, it made it, uh, it made it scarier. Uh, now I have the hiccups. That's not fun. Uh, it, it honestly made it scarier. The fact that you didn't get a very clear, explicit look at the clickers. Um, but hearing that sound, everything about them is absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. So, um, that was done really well. And of course the, the, the heartbreak of episode number two was the fact that Tess was bitten during their encounter with the clickers. And, you know, it's cool because even leading up to that, there was the scene where, um, you know, Ellie walks across the board and Joel is trying to help Tess with her wound. And she's basically like, you know, don't touch me. Like, just take the wind. I, I forget what she says, but it's essentially like you just can't take the wind. You just can't, you know. Joel, again, Joel, very similar to what we just talked about with a man called Otto. Um, Joel has some similarities to Tom Hanks' character in that film. He is broken. He he. Joel has no real hope. Joel is just living because he's a strong person. There, there's ne- not necessarily a whole lot of willpower behind Joel. Um, there, there's no real passion in, in Joel's life other than Tess. And I think it was cool seeing her tell him, like, can't you just take the win or whatever when she gets irritated and Joel walks across the thing. Um, told my phone is blowing up right now. Um... Where was I? Oh, it's cool seeing her push Joel and trying to be like, can't you just take the wind? She was annoyed with him, obviously. Even when they're walking to the Capitol building, if you if you look at Tess, she was miles ahead of Joel and Ellie because she knew she's gonna she's infected. She's gonna start turning. She's gonna start showing symptoms sooner or later. And when she Obviously, when she, uh, I talked about this earlier, when she grabs Ellie and she's trying to convince Joel to finish it when they get there and they realize that, 
all of Marlene's guys are dead and that they're going to have to take Ellie further than they thought they were going to have to take her when she grabs her Ellie's arm and says, Joel, this is real. Like you have to do this for me. Um, it was really heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to see Joel trying to absorb that because this is the person that Joel cares about most. And it's, this is, again, this is the spark that, sets the stage for what Joel becomes to Ellie and to their relationship. Joel A lost Joel lost Sarah. And then Joel lost Tommy and Tommy's not dead but he's he doesn't know where Tommy is. That's kind of in limbo. He's afraid of losing Tommy. Now Joel has lost Tess and Tess's final wish to Joel is that he finishes the job and he gets Ellie where she needs to go. And that's so powerful. That's such a powerful thing because I truly believe that if if Tess wouldn't have pushed him so much to be like, this is what I want from you. This is the thing that I want you to do. Joel would have turned right around and he'd have went back to the, the, uh, the QZ, to the quarantine zone. He would have been like, nope, I'm not doing this. You come with me, you stay, don't care what you do, but I'm not taking you to wherever the hell you need to go. But the fact that it was Tess's final wish is the thing that ignites the fact that Joel isn't going to lose anybody else. When Joel starts to get attached to Ellie, that is, she is the one he is not going to lose. And I think that ignites something very primal in Joel, which is fatherhood which is the thing that is the whole that's our whole centerpiece of the last of us is fatherhood and what it means to be a parent which is something i'm going to learn very very soon within the next month which is about 500 different types of crazy to me but kind of nuts man so and that's another reason that this series is kind of hitting home for me um for me and my wife at least because we're about to be parents so it's like this is the it's a perfect it's a perfect series to watch right now because it's just like I, it's it's really hitting home this idea of, of fatherhood and that's why those things struck me especially in episode three the one we watched last night when he he buckles her in and you know he he's seeing her be a kid and he's seeing her kind of see the world for the first time um it's it kind of ignites something different in Joel, and that's really really interesting and really really cool to see. It's cool to see him slowly f slip and fall back into that fatherhood role, and it's something that I know we're gonna get to see even more of in episode four and five, uh, and kind of as this series progresses. Now, uh, one last thing about episode two that we didn't talk about was the kiss scene with the infected, obviously. They stepped on the uh, they they stepped on the thing on the the spine the I don't even know what you would call it the where the where the fungus is growing you know what I mean the the vine I guess you call it the vine and they stepped on the vine and obviously it woke it awoke all those infected which Tess told us earlier if you step on one it's like stepping on a tripwire they're all gonna come running that whole group that it was connected to. And they obviously stepped on it. They know that they're coming. Joel looks outside and he says, you know, they're on their way, whatever. And Tess is like, I'm going to buy you some time. And of course, Ellie's like, are you like, no, you're not going to stay here like you're coming with us. And that's when she finally convinces Joel to take Ellie and just go. And they did something very interesting with Tess's death. I, I thought before her death actually happened, 
I thought we it, when Joel grabbed Ellie, it was going to follow them out, and then you would hear it happening. You'd hear gunfire. You'd see the explosion. Bada bing, boom, done. I would think I, that's what I kind of envisioned would happen. But they did something very interesting with the infected. Obviously, we see them from a a certain angle over Tess's shoulder where they're blurred out, which is really interesting. Tess is in focus, the, the infected or not, the zombies or not, and they burst through the door. They're running straight past Tess, and there's one zombie that slowly moves into focus and makes his way over to her because somehow, again, the fungus is connected. There's some kind of weird, gross connection between the fungus and he senses that she's infected. And I guess in, in, a, in an attempt to link between the two of them, he goes in for the kiss. I don't think it was literally a kiss. I just know that it, it looks like a kiss. It's basically what it was. He goes in and lets the fungus kind of emerge from his mouth and connect with hers. And you kind of see that transfer happening, which was about... 15 different kinds of gross um, with a capital G it was nasty to watch and you're seeing the the life slowly fade from Tess as you know you're, you're seeing her humanity fade away as she's sitting there trying to flick the lighter and of course in that last little that last like bit of humanity that she's got left she gets it she finally gets her nerves under control. As there is fungus spreading throughout her body, she finally clicks it, and you see the explosion happen. Joel turns around with the gun, and he's making sure that uh, that there's no infected following them, and then that's it. And, I mean, what an incredible way to end an episode. Of course, Joel blames that on Ellie, um, even though I know we get we get the exchange in episode two where she says, don't blame me for something that isn't my fault. Uh, but it, it was it, it was really, really well done. Um, really cool episode two. I also adored the opening. I hope they keep doing this, showing little tidbits of as the infection is happening and as the um, as kind of the the or not the, um, the apocalypse is happening, not the infection as it's spreading and things like that. Uh, the woman in I believe, was it India where she was? I forget. I'm not hundred India or it was some it was uh, I forget where it was I want to say it was in India but seeing the disease specialist the epidemiologist um, or whatever she was fungal specialist I'm not sure exactly what she was but seeing her reaction to the fact that cordyceps is now infecting people and when the the military comes and gets her that's the kind of stuff about the genre I love about this that subgenre is I love seeing how people react to what's happening and how people react to the virus or infection or fungus or whatever it may be and the implications that it's going to have on society. I think that's really, really interesting about this subgenre. And I think it's, I don't know, I, it's cool to me. I, I love the fact that... Um, I love the fact that they're doing that with the show, that they started episode one with the epidemiologist on a talk show, kind of giving the implications for what's to come, what happens when climate change causes the fungus to evolve and it can infect people. And then you get the idea, okay, now it's infecting people. And you have this disease specialist whose entire job is to study these things to, to help people. And she knows how hopeless it is once this fungus infects people. She flat out says start bombing this city like it's just like holy 
it, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to process. Um, but it was done really, really well. Uh, Jada said, it's kind of like how, be- yes, man, it's like how bees are connected to each other. Like bees kind of have like a, like a, not telepathic, but it's just, I think it's a hormonal thing. I think it's a lot of different things. Um, but the fungus is kind of like that. Not only are they literally connected through the fungus growing out of them, but they're also, there, there is like a, because the, the, the zombie that came in when he comes into focus towards Tess and you're seeing this over her shoulder, they weren't connected in any way. You know, they didn't touch, they, he didn't even really look at her. He was running and he stopped still facing this direction. And suddenly he kind of just looked over and saw her and then started walking towards her very calmly. Like if that was just a normal person, you would think, okay, he's going to go kill this person. But he sensed something different about her. He sensed that, oh, like you're, you're one of us. It was that kind of thing. It was very, very creepy. It was interesting. Uh, Jade had said it's subliminal or primitive in a way that we have evolved um, from, but fungi hasn't yet. Yeah, uh, fungi, even though it's advanced in many ways, it has a very primitive way that we just don't understand. Yes, uh, and that's what was so cool about the opening scene of the series when the epidemiologist, you know, the the talk show host was like, you know, are you afraid of viruses? I, f- I forget the actual lines how they were. You know, obviously it was more artistic than this, but, you know, he's like, you know, he's not afraid of viruses. He's not afraid of bacteria, but he is afraid of fungus because we can't we we can't do anything about it. There's no cure for that. You know, it's too smart. It, it has a mind of its own, you know, um, and it, it's very it's creepier that cordyceps is a real thing. That's what's creepiest about this is that, like, it's a real fungus that really infects insects now fortunately it only infects ants and a few other things knock on wood um but you know it's it was cool um but jumping to episode number three episode number three did something really really cool with bill and frank's story and again there were there were really neat moments with joel and ellie as well but joel and ellie actually took a back seat and I, I, I was listening to a chunk of that podcast. I'll listen to it, the rest of it on my way to work tomorrow. Um, but there was a, a chunk of that podcast where Craig Mazin had said they really wanted to use Bill and Frank's story to show the passage of time and kind of how things have changed over time. <laughs> now, I loved our introduction to Bill's character when... The apocalypse happens. He's hiding in his little bunker. He's kind of a uh, doomsday prepper type thing. You know, the whole they even make a joke at one point about, you know, he thinks 9-11 was an inside job and all that stuff. You know, he thinks the government's out to get you all that crap, you know. Uh, excuse me, I got to dry it out too quick, man. Um, But you you get the idea that Bill is very much a conspiracy theorist type dude and seeing him have this whole intricate plan when you know that the quarantine zone is full and all of these poor people are being loaded up into this truck similar to what we saw in the walking dead when the soldiers go into the hospital when shane is trying to get rick out and the soldiers just start shooting people because they're like who's infected like there's no there's no way and that falls back into the chaos of the zombie apocalypse subgenre and when things are going crazy it's like how do you, there's no way to sit there and figure out who's infected and who's not they just start blasting everybody um 
which is when Shane kind of like hope when Shane shoves into or shoves the, the gurney against Rick's room and tries to like block him in there so that nothing can get to him. Um, but it's the same type thing. These poor people are loaded up into this truck, even though they're being told that you're going to go to a quarantine zone, you're going to be safe. And women, children, men, whatever, they are executed because there's no more room in the quarantine zone. There's no more room for people. And that's basically it. They would rather kill you because dead people can't be infected. It's, it's you know, and it's really, really sad. And it shows the hypocrisy and the, the, the bad side of Fedra. It's been interesting to see how they've done that because we haven't necessarily spent a lot of time with Fedra uh, in the show, not at least not as much as we do in the game. But it's been interesting to see um, kind of how they... Uh, how they've portrayed them with the kid in the first episode and now with, you know, executing people um, at the beginning of the apocalypse. It's been, it's been cool to see. Uh, Jaded, it is 100% the next Walking Dead. Now, it's not going to go as long as the Walking Dead. It's going to be much more limited than that. Um, but it is, it's, it's definitely just as good as the first couple of seasons. It's the Walking Dead, of the Walking Dead. It's really, it's that good. Um and you know me. I am I am a diehard. I will all of these people that say the Walking Dead sucks, I will sit here and argue about that all day. I am a diehard Walking Dead fan and The Last of Us is just as good. 100%. Um but so the Bill and Frank thing, it was cool to see him kind of he already had this plan when he emerges from his bunker and he goes and he gets gasoline. He goes by the Home Depot when the lights shut off and the electricity is no longer there. And he gets all of the supplies he needs. He starts setting up his traps. He builds his compound. It was cool to see that. Um, again, it, it was more... This episode was kind of like an expansion pack on the game. It didn't necessarily... It wasn't a detractor from it. And I think a lot of people took this episode as filler or... As kind of like, why are we here? Why are we not focusing on Joel and Ellie? But I think this episode gave us a few things. I mean, it gave us the... It, it had a lot of heart to it. Uh, obviously, it had a lot of heart. Um, the whole... The story of Bill and Frank and showing them in different years leading up from 2003 to 2023, um, where we are current day, it was so cool to see their relationship flourish and to see... Bill turn into a completely different character around Frank and to see them build a life together and to see them, um, you know, thrive together for so long, because that's something that in a post-apocalyptic story, it's so hard to see people thrive. And Bill and Frank thrived for a long time, of course, until Frank was sick and he couldn't do it anymore. Um, but it, it was it was really really well done, and and it's I guess honestly in that type of world, Julia had even mentioned this last night. She was like, in this type of world, having your own little compound with weapons where you know you're safe and you know you have food and things like that. I mean, like Bill and Frank had it about as good as you could possibly have it, honestly, without being in a quarantine zone where you're basically at the mercy of Fedra and their law and their rules and whatever they have you do have you to do um you know they had it really really good they could live the way that they wanted to live and it, it was little things it was the it was the meals it was seeing them paint and seeing them 
you know, the the blackberries or the or the not the black uh, the strawberries. You know, it was little things like that. It was little things about seeing them build their life together that was so special. And Nick Offerman absolutely kill. I mean, both of them. What was the other guy's name? Um, uh, I gotta see. What was the other guy's name? I'm bad with cast member names. I can never remember people's names. Um, Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett absolutely killed it. Killed it, man. Their performance was unbelievable in this episode from top to bottom. Um, their arc, for even seeing them in the older makeup towards the end, it was just, it, they, they absolutely killed it. Seeing them sick and seeing, uh, seeing kind of what the world how they responded to the world it's a perfect example of these two characters essentially made it their own they they did the best they could um in in you know they they did the best they could in the situation that they had and i loved seeing their their arc play out it was an absolutely it was one of the best love stories i have ever seen portrayed in tv or film it was really really spectacular um from top to bottom and again if you're watching or listening and you have not seen it or if you've not played the game i'm sorry i'm about to spoil something for you so go ahead and click off like right now like five four three two one but oh my god the way they went out together yes that was a deviation from the game it was but when you realize that Frank drugged or um, excuse me Bill drugged himself too it's just like that's so sad like it's so heartbreaking and it's so well written and it 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 just it breaks your heart but it's it's a very it's very bittersweet that episode and those two characters because yes it deviated from the game and yes they're in a terrible situation where the world has fallen apart but if the world hadn't fallen apart they never would have met if the world hadn't have fallen apart they wouldn't have been able to build this beautiful uh 20-year journey that they've had together you know what i mean um it was it was so cool man uh, and it was bittersweet because they had this beautiful journey together and they had this beautiful relationship and this beautiful life that they built together. But also it's bittersweet because it's like, I, I don't blame them. Julie even said that. She was like, I don't blame them for killing themselves because I, I don't know. It, it never specifies what Frank had. I don't know if he had Parkinson's or ALS or um, some type of, he had some type of degenerative disease where he was falling apart. Um, and, and he just couldn't, he couldn't go on anymore, but it was, it was remarkable to see the way that they went out and to see their love for each other on display in about every single scene and to see that passion. It, it was amazing. It's, it, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, that episode, um, is a win for that LGBTQ community. That was a complete win. The way it was done was fantastic. Like, 11 out of 10 for an episode legit maybe one of my favorite television episodes in history and i'm talking breaking bad walking dead anything it was amazing it's fantastic yeah uh rosalia i think you'd love it if you like the walking dead i think you're gonna love it it's a very character yes it's a zombie show but like that's what i tried to explain to julia is the walking dead yes it is a zombie show 
but it's a character-driven zombie show. You know what I mean? It's not about the zombies. That's that's not the point, which I think turns a lot of people off because a lot of people are like, I came here for zombies. Why are there not more zombies? You get your zombies. You do. And when they're there, they're great. But it's about the people. It's not about the zombies. Uh, Jaded said, you got me convinced. I'm going to watch it this weekend and get caught up. Dude, please do because then we can talk about it on here. And hopefully I got to get Miguel to watch it because when he comes back, we're Every week I'm talking about this until the season is over. Uh, so we have what? This is our third episode. We've got six more, you know, we've got six more of these things. So six more weeks of Walking Dead, which it's funny because they, uh, I think I saw they're, they're airing episodes of The Last of Us during the Super Bowl, during the Oscars, and during something else. I forget what it is. I forget, but it's like big events in entertainment that they're, um, you know, that they're, uh, that they're airing episodes of, which is pretty bold, but man, it's been killing it. People have been absolutely loving it. Rightfully so. It's honestly in my top five shows right now. If I had to pick my top five TV shows of all time right now, here we go. Are the walking dead. Oh, I got it. The walking dead, the last of us breaking bad. The X-Files. And Euphoria? I think I'm going to say Euphoria. Euphoria is really, really good, too. If you haven't watched Euphoria, I definitely encourage you. Um, I encourage you to do that. I was, I, w- I actually almost reviewed Euphoria when we watched it because I, I thought it was really, really well done. I might do that later on. Maybe Julia can join me for that one. <laughs> so... Um, I actually, I don't, let me know your all's thoughts on this. I thought about doing at some point, this would be a massive, and I mean massive undertaking, but would you guys be down for, even if it was just me, even because I don't know if Miguel would be up for this or not, but would you guys be down for a show where we started from days gone by and revisited every single episode of the walking dead together? Might take us a couple years, <laughs> but honestly, I think, uh, I don't know. I would love to, cause I, I adore that show that much. I would, I would love to go back through the walking dead. So if that's something you're interested in, let me know. And we might, uh, in the future, we might, I might keep that in the back of my brain, but yes, the last of us is the last of us is an 11 out of 10 so far. I mean, legit, it's amazing. Um, Jaded said the wire needs to be on your list unless you haven't seen it yet. Top three for me. I have not seen the wire. Is that one? Um, who's in that? I feel like I know which show you're talking about. The wire. 2000. Is that the 2002 one? Yeah, I think I know this show. I haven't seen it, but I think I know what you're talking about. I do think I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot of really good shows, man. I love the waking dead or the, the waking, the waking dead. That that's what I just said. Um, (laughs) I love, uh, I love the walking dead and I, Julie, listen, breaking bad was another one. I took forever to watch breaking bad. It, it took me forever. I was like, I'm not interested. Don't care. Don't want to. And Julia finally started watching it, um, before we got married and she was like, you have to watch this show. Like, I don't know why you haven't yet. And I was like, okay, fine. Started it, had it finished in a couple of weeks. Loved it. Absolutely incredible. 
Um, but yeah, Rosie said, hell yes. So, okay, listen, maybe we will. Maybe we'll do uh, a Let's Talk the Walking Dead show. Maybe we'll do that. Um, he said, I'd be down for that. Uh, J-Dead said, not he. Uh, I'd, whoever. <laughs> I can't talk tonight. I don't know why. Maybe it's the congestion and, the, and not feeling 100%. Uh, he said, I'd be down for that. I haven't rewatched any TWD in years. I never finished the series. Oh, you didn't finish it? Bro, I, I, I'm, the, I'm gonna be real. I, I fell off for a little while. I did, but it was not because I didn't want to watch it. It was just, it was a time thing. I like, I, I struggle with that. Like, between like my job and between like my personal life, and we're literally about to have a baby this month, and like just between everything, like I struggle. I feel bad because there are so many movies that. I want to review and that I want to talk about on the show, but I haven't had a chance to go see them yet. So that's why I was like, I think I'm going to try and pick one every week or every couple of weeks and just go until I'm like caught up. I still haven't seen Wakanda forever, which I think comes on uh, Disney plus tomorrow. Ooh. Okay. Maybe I'll watch it at Wakanda forever this week. Um, still haven't seen avatar, the way of the water. Although I, I think Miguel and I are going to do a classics revisited um, episode about the original Avatar because I can't I I I saw I know for a fact I remember going and seeing the first Avatar um, in the movie theater because when we left the theater it was a later showing I went with my parents and my brother and I remember when we left I was in high school. But I remember what what was that? Two thousand nine, I think is when it came out. When we left the movie theater, we had like four inches of snow. Like it was snowing hard after we got out of that. Um and I know I've seen it at least one other time. I've maybe seen the original Avatar twice. Um but uh I don't know. I I, I know I've seen the original twice, but I need to rewatch it again because it's it's a lot. <laughs> like I also I I hope nobody unsub unsubs for this, but I kind of feel like it's a little bit overrated. <laughs> like I and I know, I know it's probably hypocritical because a lot of people are gonna be like, dude, Marvel is overrated. Like all the MCU stuff is overrated. And I get that, whatever. I understand if you think it's overrated. I get it. Um but I just I don't know, cause it's funny because James Cameron is so like he can't wait until universe superhero movies are done with and that fad is over. But it's like Here's Avatar 9. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, what do you mean? You're, you're sick of universe movies or superhero movies? But like, and I know Avatar isn't a superhero film, but like, it, it irritates me. It, I got more irritated when they re-Endgame became the highest grossing modern film of all time. And then they re-released Avatar right after that happened. And it then went back to Avatar. That irritated me. And now it irritates me that he's like, I, not him he's a great director this is nothing personal against James Cameron it's just I find it funny that it's like he's over universe films and then suddenly it's like Avatar is now like it's not only the highest grossing film of all time but now it's like it keeps beating out all of these other incredible films and moving its way up so I don't know it's I've always thought it was a little bit overrated I never really got it it's a good film it's it's great um, and I, I have a lot of respect for it but I it's I, I've I don't know. There are people that think it's like the greatest thing they have ever seen in their entire life. And it's good. I I fully admit it's good. It's a visual spectacle and it's got a great story. But I, I don't think it's 
Oscar worthy. I think it was nominated for best film. I was like, what? I was like, really? Really? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What do I know? I ho- I have I'm a dude from Kentucky that hosts a movie podcast. What do I know? <laughs> uh, I know anybody would probably James Cameron would probably laugh in my face if I said that. But again, lots of respect. I love the dude. Love him, and love his films. But I I don't really get the Avatar hype. I really don't. Not really that interested. Um, but even like the horror films, there, there's a lot of them. Like I haven't seen Barbarian. I haven't seen Smile. Um, I, what, what were other ones? There, there's a few other ones that I, I need to get on the ball and I need to watch. Um, but again, like you all know, this life gets in the way. It's hard to, it's 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 consistently. Time is consistently the most difficult thing about doing this, about having a YouTube channel, about doing a podcast, about reviewing films and talking about films, because it's like you almost have to pick and choose between streaming and between theatrical releases and between television shows. I mean, it's like you literally almost have to pick and choose what you're going to talk about because you almost can't. I don't, It was again, it was one of my New Year's resolutions was to watch more stuff, like not even necessarily for for let's talk movies but just for myself to watch more because i love to watch movies and i love to watch tv shows and i kind of fell off of that a little bit so i used to game i used to be a gamer i played the last of us i played resident evil i played you know prototype and the the friday the 13th game i played games all the time and i kind of fell off of it after college so but that's a goal i want to stay on top of that stuff a little bit more but speaking of staying on top of it we have such sights to show you. Uh, let's talk Hellraiser. I'm excited. My, my body is ready, uh, but not whatever the hell Pinhead has for me. I'm not ready for that. Uh, but I, so I watched Hellraiser last week, broke up over a couple of days, did a spoiler-free review out there. Like I said before, do all of the YouTuber influencer. Go do all that stuff on that video. Like it. Do whatever. Um but I had fun watching it. It it did something different. Um, I, I, I had said this in that... I had said in my spoiler-free review, I, I don't have a ton of nostalgia for the Hellraiser franchise. I, it was never a franchise that really appealed all that much to me. And I ha- again, I have respect for it. Um... And I think it's done a lot for the horror genre and it's done a lot for the horror community. And I know people absolutely adore that franchise in a lot of ways, but I, it, it was never my favorite. But this new one did intrigue me. If you remember when they first cast Jamie Clayton as Pinhead, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, this is kind of cool. I, I was I was intrigued to see where... Uh, to see where a, a, a reinvention of this franchise would go. Um, especially the fact that Clive Barker was on board. What's up, Hatchet Boys? What's going on, man? But to see where Clive Barker would go with it, to see where to, to see what kind of new direction they could take it in. And I think they did a good job with doing something slightly different and something slightly new and upgraded. I appreciate that it was not a straight-up ripoff or reboot or retelling of the original film. I appreciate that personally. I do. Um, I 
appreciate Rob Zombie's Halloween film, his first one, for, for the same way. Now, there are things about that I don't like. There were things about that this I didn't like. But I think in a lot of ways, this was done well. They did the things that they needed to do well. And I had issues with this film as well. Um, but it wasn't... It wasn't bad. It, it didn't... I think I gave it a 6.7 in my review, and that's not bad at all. I, I don't think. I know there, I know we live in a world where if it's not a 10, it sucks, and that's not at all the case, because I did enjoy this. I enjoyed watching it. Um, but again, I think there are a few factors. First of all, as I said before, I'm not a really, really, really big Hellraiser franchise fan. I like the first film. There are other films in the franchise that I appreciate. My dad actually likes Hellraiser. Him and I talked about this a lot. Um he's going to watch it. He had seen my review and he, he likes the original Hellraiser films, at least the first couple. I know there's like 12 of them or something like that. There's quite a few. Um, but I, I, I think the original film has a very distinct feel. It's very gross. And as I, like I said that in the review, it's very icky. It's very, gruesome and it feel like when you watch that original film you're like this is disgusting <laughs> like i i don't feel good watching this it's kind of gross um it, it makes you feel like you need to go like take a shower in don dishop and like rinse your body off with the hose like it it just it feels gross like you don't even want to do it in your shower you got to go shower outside because it's nasty um sierra what's up hey where's your boyfriend sierra he should come on the show at some point where is he? Find him. Bring him to me like right now. If he's not in my house in the next... Uh, by the way, I'm talking about Miguel, everybody, if you don't know. <laughs> if he's not in this room in 10 minutes, I'm going to be upset. Um, I'm kidding. I do miss him, though. I got to say, I miss my boy. I do. Uh, but he'll be back. Um, I have no idea where I was going with that. We were literally just talking about showering outside in the hose, and then I started yapping about Miguel. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with what I was saying. Um but I, I do love that it's not a I, it's not a retelling of the original film. The original feels very. They captured the essence of what the original film was about, but it approached it a little bit differently, and I can appreciate that. I, I can appreciate um, a different approach to something. Um, even if we get there in the same way. Now, I think the biggest deviation, other than the story and a few different elements of the lore and the mythology behind the Cenobites, the biggest deviation obviously was two things. It was the characters, because it was an entirely set of new characters, and it also um, was the... The fact that it had a little bit of a different vibe, it was a little bit of a different feel. The original, like I said, is so gross and so icky and it makes you feel like you need to go, uh, like, uh, as Mike from We Watched a Movie has said this before, like, you need to go to church after you watch it. Like, it just, it makes you feel gross. This one felt clean. It felt, um, it, it, it didn't feel as gross. And I ex actually, I, I expected it to go a little bit further than it did. Um, I kind of kept like we got to the halfway point. It took to that halfway point for me to really feel invested in what was happening. And that goes to the characters, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But it kind of took me a little bit to be like, oh, this is 
this isn't going to go as crazy as I guess I was expecting it to. I was expecting it to be super gory, super in your face, super blood guts gore and bodies getting ripped apart and all kinds of shit. And, and it, it, it really wasn't. It didn't it didn't go quite as hard as I was expecting it to. Um, but uh, it, it, and it worked for this film. I mean, the gore is there. It just it didn't. It wasn't as gratuitous, which I appreciated. I am not a gratuitous gore person. I am not a torture porn guy. I know a lot of people, like films like Hostel, not about it. I'm not even really all that much of a Saw fan, to be honest. And Saw, I know Saw's a little bit different. I, I, I appreciate Saw for what it is. I, I like Saw, but I'm not real big on gore for the sake of gore. I'm just not. I'm not about that. Yeah, Jaded, you're 100% right. The OG Hellraiser felt like a bloody butcher shop. I'm not about nonstop gallons and gallons of blood used throughout a film. I'm not like that. It did. This was like a sterile surgery room. You know you're about, like, you know you're about to see blood, and you're, you know you're about to see the inside of a human being, but it's not just going to, like, explode, and there's going to be blood all over you and all over the room, and you can't get out, get away from it. Like, the original, you almost can't get away from what's happening. Like, I think about the scene where the hooks are in the, di- the guy's face as his skin is being, like, stretched off and things like that. I mean, there wasn't anything in this film that I really, at least I, I don't think so, that I'm forgetting. It, it, there wasn't anything that stuck with me as, like, that was nasty, like capital N. They, there wasn't. Um, so I, I don't know. I it That kind of shocked me. It surprised me that it didn't go a little bit harder than it did. Um, now, I will say uh, the, the Cenobites were the star of the whole thing. Specifically, Jamie Clayton as Pinhead was a stroke of pure genius. Uh now the biggest letdown for me personally let me let me kind of go there because the the tone thing didn't bother me i i didn't mind the fact that it was a little bit of a different tone that it was a little bit of a uh, a switcheroo from the vibe and the gratuitousness of the original film i didn't mind that at all actually i i don't i dig that but what i did mind was the fact that i didn't really feel connected or invested in any of the characters and that's something that did bother me because i think the gore and the the blood only matters the kills only matter if you're invested in the characters and i know what a lot of horror fans are probably saying who are listening to this right now you're like okay you're sounding really hypocritical because look at Friday the 13th did you really do you really feel all that invested to everybody who dies in slasher films no but this isn't a slasher film. This is a very different thing than a Friday the 13th or a Halloween or even the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is a different type of thing. There's a little bit more of an intricate mythology-based story here. And there are things that we needed to know about the Cenobites and about what was happening in order to set up their eventual arrival. And... Like I said, it took me about halfway through the film to really get there, to really feel like, okay, I'm invested in what's happening. I'm I'm here now. I'm good. It, it took me that long to really get there and feel invested because I was like, I don't, I don't particularly like any of the characters really. I made a joke in that spoiler-free review. I was like, the puzzle box. 
like the lament configuration actually had more character development than some of these other characters did i mean you had riley who was my favorite character and yes i i understand what they were trying to do she's struggling with addiction and she's obviously got relationship problems she does um but even some of the character choices she made like you're like i'm sorry but your brother just went missing and first of all you just relapsed your brother is missing there's this puzzle box that is stabbing people and it's changing on its own and you saw some crazy disfigured monster woman coming at you from the distance while you were high and like the person that you're the closest to goes missing and your first instinct is to go have sex with your boyfriend that you barely know like what <laughs> I, when that happened I was kind of like what are we doing right now like I, why is she not out looking for him or looking for answers like I don't necessarily I don't it it was very weird some of the choices made were just strange I didn't and now eventually towards the third act of the film, Riley's character starts to make choices and starts to do things where I'm like, okay, I'm I'll, all right. I, I'm, I get it. I'm good. I'm, I'm down now. But there is one character. Uh, what is it? Let me, again, I can't do character names. I can't do cast members and characters names. Uh, Hellraiser 2022. Let me pull up the cast list. Um, her boyfriend, Trevor. I did. That is her boyfriend, right? Am I correct in thinking that? I feel like I am. Yes. Yeah. Think so. Is that Trevor? Yes, I am. Okay. I'm sorry. I I'm I have it pulled up on IMDb because I can't I can never remember these people's names. Um it's like my toxic trait as a as a movie dude. Uh but Trevor, which was Riley's boyfriend. There was the thing with him at the end when uh when it's revealed that he is working for the old rich dude what's his face uh roland void when when it's revealed that he's working for him and that he lured them there so that roland can get that gross thing out of his chest um that was a kind of like oh shit <laughs> i was like all right well we're okay we're going here like we're we're there um that was interesting. I didn't expect that. I wish there would have been more moments where the characters shined a little bit more. But I just... Even the brother and his boyfriend, I, they were fine. Uh, I didn't like her brother at all. I thought her brother was kind of whiny, to be completely honest. Um, her brother was whiny, and uh, he, he I, I know he wanted what was best for her, but the way he went about it all was just kind of like, I, I was like, dude, like <laughs> chill. Like I, I was like, everybody needs to chill right now. Like, um, it, I don't know what it was. I just, I didn't feel super invested into any of the characters. I, I didn't necessarily like some of the choices that they made. Um, there was no, I feel like we, we spent a lot of time with them, but we didn't really get to know them at all. Um, Jaden, I, 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 I agree with you in terms of the characters. I don't I think the character writing was lackluster. I think the writing when it comes to the lore of the Cenobites and the actual Hellraiser stuff was great. I think that was really well done. But the characters weren't really well written, in my opinion. I know somebody else might have a completely different opinion about that, but 
I just kind of wasn't really about it, you know? Um, Hatchet Boy said, uh, I got no comment till I watch it for myself. That's all right, man. Um, I, I completely respect that. Uh, I know you guys are moving in the chat. Thank you so much, by the way. If you're, if you haven't already, be sure to leave this episode a like for me. Uh, Sierra said, <laughs> she said, listen, he and I just drove out to the boonies to get me a treadmill. Well, that's cool. Got yourself a treadmill. That's awesome. Um, and hopefully you didn't know, no leather face, no craziness when you're out there in the boonies. Listen, Kentucky can be a weird place. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I missed you guys. Uh, Jaded said, Miguel is the fungus that has invaded Brad's brain. He is. He's always, he's always here. It's okay. We text on like a daily basis. I haven't actually talked to him in a couple days, but we text pretty much every, every day on and off. Um, already read that one. Uh, Hatchet said, oh, that sucks. Doesn't sound like a Hellraiser movie to me. Yeah, it was different. It, it was its own Hellraiser movie. I'll say that. It was its own thing. Um, yeah, Rosalia, that's a good way of putting it. Sounds like they sanitized it. It was a very sanitized version of Hellraiser. That's a good way of putting it. Um, now, if you're somebody that is not about gore, if you can't handle gore at all, you're still going to be like, oh, my God. Like, you're still going to think this is gross. But it wasn't it wasn't shock faster factor. Like there are films that there are films over the last decade, even the last five years that I can think of that were way gorier than this film was. And that were way more over the top and that were way scarier. It wasn't ever really scary for me. I never really felt scared by what was happening. I mean, even the, even the, there were certain scenes where the, the 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 idea with the Cenobites, it's more the way that they looked and their presence that was scary. But even the way that they moved, they all kind of moved the same way. There was real no, there there wasn't really any quick movement from them. It was just I don't know. It was interesting. It was weird. It it, it was a different, um, it was a very different approach from uh from what they did with the original films. Yeah, if you've seen Terrifier 2, Terrifier 2 was like a level 25. Hellraiser was like maybe like a 15 or so, like a between like a 12 and a 15. Like not at all uh not at all close to that at all. So, I don't know. Uh Hatchet Boy said LTM freaking spelt uh oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I never got your name. Oh, I'm Brad. Nice to meet you, man. What's your name? I'm Brad. Um, uh, Rosalia said, Miguel is a fun guy. Horrible dad joke. <laughs> uh, clicker that like button. Yeah. Clicker that like button. Please do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think if the characters would have been a little bit more likable, and if I, f I think if I would have been more invested in the characters... I would have felt more, I, I, the, the stakes would have felt higher. But it's hard for the stakes to feel high when you don't really care about the things, the people that it's all happening to. You know what I mean? Um, even Roland Voigt and his whole thing. Like, I, I thought they were going to set him up for more of a villain than he actually was. Um, I actually, that was a little bit of a letdown for me because when I saw him, when the, 
when the chick gets stuck in on the other side of the wall and you see him running, I was like, oh, shoot. Like, that was the that was the scariest part of the movie when he comes out of the shadows and stabs her or whatever with the box. Um, I was like, oh, that was kind of scary. That was I, that freaked me out. That's good. And I was like, OK, so he's got this thing stuck inside of him. Ah, we're setting up for him to be the villain. He's trying to make all the sacrifices so that he can get what he wants from Pinhead, which is that thing pulling on his nerves, um, like literally his nerves in his body that's kind of like grinding them up in this machine uh, to stop. And um, I, I thought they were setting him up to do something a little bit more. I thought there would be a little bit more of a battle between Roland Void and between like our core cast of characters. But there really wasn't. Even his death scene, which it was cool that she made him into a Cenobite, but I thought there'd be more of a punishment, more of like the villain gets what they deserve moment. It, and it, there really wasn't. Like he essentially gets a moment of joy and then the thing stabs him and pulls him up into the sky and that was it. And it's just like, I don't know. I kind of felt by the end of the film, I was like, that was it? Like, Really? We're not. We're doing no more than that. That was the end. Um, I did like what happened with Riley. I liked when the whole. Listen, every time Jamie Clayton was on screen as Pinhead, those were the best moments of the film. Like, I and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. All of the coolest bits and the best writing came from her mouth and came from Pinhead's mouth when she's talking about the lore of it and. Um, I, I think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity, even when Riley was, uh, w when Riley was looking through all the notes in Roland Voigt's house about the puzzle box and about the lament configuration and kind of like, you know, about the, the lore of Hellraiser and about the Cenobites and what they are and where they come from. I think we could have found out or, or not even found out just played around with that a little bit more. Yes. We learned about the puzzle box, which was cool. Um, about the different stages and about the sacrifices and things like that and the whole where you get like the, the final stage, what you receive if you make that number of sacrifices and whatever with the box. But it just kind of felt like we, we missed an opportunity to dive into that mythos a little bit more. And I think this film is, as I said in my other review, there is an opportunity here, I think, for sequels it's very open-ended there's 100 percent um space for all for all new characters you could bring riley back you couldn't at all doesn't matter um but there, there's definitely space to bring these characters back uh specific you know i talking about the Cenobites. obviously pretty much almost everybody else died but um you know uh there's room for sequels and to expand on what you have but this film feels like we just kind of dipped our toes into what could be if that makes sense i think there were there were good things there were bad things there were things that i didn't like about it but there were things that i really did like about it and fortunately the thing i can kind of get past the character thing because the th i mean i don't know about any of you or anybody else listening or watching but I was there for the Cenobites. I was there for the Hellraiser lore. That's what I was there for. That's what I wanted to see. Um, and everything that Pinhead says about, uh, about the different configurations and about trying to sacrifice people and what they're there for, and they're trying to bring them gifts, obviously gifts of 
pain and suffering, you know, pain, whatever else. But uh, those were the most interesting parts of the film to me when Pinhead was kind of describing uh, what the Cenobites were and why they're there. Um, we didn't ever get the... Uh, I really wish we would have gotten the you opened it, we came. That line, that would have been cool. Uh, but I liked what they did with a lot of it. It was interesting. Um, the look of the Cenobites, it worked for this film. It worked for this, as Rosie said, sanitization of Hellraiser. Uh, their look was less... I'm going to say something, and don't... Th this is... It's true. If you look at the original film, it's very BDSM. It's very leathery. It's very, there's rings hanging from everything, and it's very leather, and they're in this, like, gown getup. It's almost got, like, a sexual vibe to it. Um, but this was almost more, this had more of a mutilated, ghostly look to it. Even when we see Pinhead, a lot of times there's fog around her. And uh, when we see them, it's like their skin has been turned into their clothing um and less that they're actually wearing clothing if, if you look at uh the design of some of the cenobites i mean even look at what happened to roland at the end when his his lips kind of like split and the skin like attaches to his shoulders or whatever and like i don't know it it did some interesting things with that and, and i i didn't hate the design i didn't love it pinhead looked good again pinhead was the star of the show for me she was it was awesome um but yeah i i just I, it was it was a mixed bag for me i i enjoyed it there were things about it i enjoyed there were things about it that i didn't and i think i will be interested to see if they do sequels where they go i will definitely definitely want to uh want to check out the hellraiser sequels and see what they do with those characters and see what they do with the cenobites and with pinhead and where they take the lore and i just hope that in the next film or the next films whatever i i do hope that they they give the characters a little bit more um a little bit more depth because it just they felt a little shallow it didn't i didn't it was hard to ever root for them or it was hard to feel anything when anybody died because it was just kind of like oh okay oh that was that was a cool death scene Ooh, that was painful like that that was it there wasn't any like oh this person died holy crap i never really felt that about anybody you know so uh hatchet boy said we'll be coming out with content soon oh cool man that's awesome at the moment i've just been putting out my music that's awesome man uh, definitely go support them, everybody. Go subscribe to their channel. Uh, Jaded said, I, se uh, I second that, Rosa. Would be a good mod. And welcome, Patrick. Hope you come hang in more of the streams, bro. Uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. What mod are you talking about? I don't know. I think I missed something in the chat. I don't, I don't know. Uh, is that your... Patrick, is that your name? My name is... Oh, I see. My name is Patrick, by the way. My brother is Drew. We're the Hatchet Boys. That's awesome, man. Welcome, Patrick and Drew, to Let's Talk Movies. So glad to have you guys here. Um, definitely hope you guys come and hang out. Uh, also, he said, it's 80s synthwave mix with hip-hop and trap beats. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. Anything 80s is cool. Let me... Listen, let me ask you this. We were talking about this. This is completely off-topic from anything we've talked about on tonight's show. But I asked uh, my wife, Julia, this. I was like... Why do you think that the 80s is really coming back? Like, why is the 80s regarded as, like, the decade of pop culture? Like, why is that? 
you know i mean it's the i mean look we've taken to it it's the look of our show i mean like like the the logos and everything i purposely designed to look 80s and to look uh synthy like retro that you know purposely i i you know we design things like that but like it just fits like when you think of movies and like the best decade for movies and for cinema i think a lot of people go to the 80s especially horror fans all of us because i mean the 80s horror craze i I just think it's i don't know i think it's interesting that the 80s like 80s fashion is coming back and 80s music is coming back and i don't know like and i know stranger things has a lot to do with it but even before stranger things i feel like the 80s was still coming back you know i don't know it's very interesting it's weird so i don't know but to 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 wrap up the hellraiser talk i i do want to see more i want to see more because of the cenobites you know what i mean um shatterer was really really cool uh the gasp which was um selena lowe's character which was like the it was a bald cenobite and she had these like ring things that came around like from her chest or head it was really cool she was probably out of all the cenobites she was probably my favorite one next to pinhead um there was uh let me see let me look at the cast and see if he has a name um the mask maybe that was his name the mask i don't know there were some there were some cool designs for the cenobites they did a good job designing them it just felt different from the original it it was just it was different that's what i'll say it was more of a ghostly haunted mutilation vibe than it was a bdsm freak show vibe if that makes sense you know so uh jay said 80s was the last carefree era in pop culture and a lot of people are looking for an escape nowadays in the world yeah i i would agree with that i could see that a lot definitely i mean i i mean look at us we i know i do i don't know about anybody else i use that 80s horror thing to escape i use movies to escape i mean that's we all do i mean that's the point um you know uh, Gory Tiger said, before Stranger Things, music sounded like 80s. Yeah, I, I mean, 80s m- music has come back. I mean, look at what happened with Running Up That Road uh, or Running Up That Hill, whatever it's called. The, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, the Kate Bush song. And now even with The Last of Us, we were talking about The Last of Us earlier. Look at what happened with The Last of Us. And um, the song they used the, uh, oh God, what is the, I cannot, like, I can't think tonight last of us uh the song uh the linda ronstadt song like uh long long time which was duh the episode the the title of the episode long long time by linda ronstadt um that's like the next one now like i I think they had said spotify saw like a 350 percent increase in that song being played since sunday night when the last of us aired oh i apologize um but yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Uh, Patrick said, yeah, I agree. The 80s is coming back. Uh, 80s movies were, in my opinion, the best decade of movies. Some of the music was decent. Thrash metal and rock music was good. I would say Stranger Things has a big impact for sure. It does. I, and I completely agree with that. Um, but it's just, it seems like everything. It's like movies, music, TV, like clothing, fashion. You know, this, I don't know. The only thing that is, the only two things that are not quite the same is the shopping mall craze 
and the movie theater thing because I do think that people are starting to skip the movie theater, which is really sad. I don't really care about shopping malls all that much. I think malls will always be around, but I, I, we did an episode on this early on in our show's history and in our channel's history. It was in it was like our sixth episode, um, and I mean we're on a hundred and four, so that tells you that if that tells you we're almost a hundred away from that, um, but. Uh, I don't think movie theaters will ever go away. I think it's too big for them to ever go away. But I, I do think that, um, I don't know. I do think that there is a little bit, there has been a little bit of a decline. And I think some of it's been since COVID too, you know, it, it has been, but so yeah, man, uh, lots of good stuff. I also know we got the big DC news today. Um, as we kind of wrap up, we're about an hour and 36 minutes. We got that huge DC drop. I know uh, I, I, I thought I contemplated making a standalone video about that today. Um, and and I, I purposely didn't because a it's been covered by everybody. All the trades have covered it. All the other channels have covered it. I'm not going to sit and go over it again. Um, but hopefully Miguel will be back really soon and we will talk about that. I want to devote an entire episode to the DC thing because we did get a lot of information and the things that intrigued me the most weren't necessarily the projects themselves, but the continuity and how it ties into everything else and what they're doing. Because you have the current DCEU, which is somehow multiversally, if that's even a word, is going to die in, tie into James Gunn's and Peter Saffron's DCU. But you also have, I believe they're calling it uh, Elseworlds, DC Elseworlds, which is where uh, Joker and the Matt Reeves Batman universe fits in. So, like, they're re I think DC is really, really, really leaning into the multiverse thing, uh, which is just, it's funny because Marvel is doing the same thing right now. But, um, and we've talked about that. I, I do feel I'm not a hundred percent invested into the multiverse saga just yet. I love it. I'm 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 in. I'm all in. I think Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania is gonna do it for me. I think that's gonna be the one that I'm like, all right, I'm in. Let's go. Like, let's build to Kang Dynasty Secret Wars. I'm I'm all in. Um, but we I will devote an entire episode to the DC thing because I think there is a lot to talk about there. So uh, guys, listen, this is an hour and 38 minutes in. This has been a really, really fun episode to do. I'm glad uh, glad we finally got it in. Uh, this has been episode number 104 of Let's Talk Movies. That's going to do it for me tonight. My voice is getting tired, so I'm going to uh, I'm gonna have to call it quits now. You guys are absolutely amazing. Rosalia, Gory, Hatchet Boys, J-Dead, Sierra, everybody who's been hanging out in the chat tonight. Thank you so, 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 so much. Gory, you're there as well. Um, you guys are amazing. Thank you for always coming and hanging out with me. And um, again, Miguel will be back very soon. I'm really excited for him to be back. I'm excited for the future and what we have going on here at the channel. I'm trying to get a standalone video or two out every single week now. Um, and we're, we're trying to do some things differently in the new year. So I think we're going to, I think 
there's a there's good things on the horizon for us, man. I'm I'm really happy about it. So, uh, guys, new episodes of Let's Talk Movies and Purely and Simply Evil premiere every single week at 8 p.m. Eastern. We are on Twitter and Instagram at LTM Podcast KY. You can see it right there on the bottom right hand corner of your screen. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Be sure if you haven't already to leave this episode a like and consider subscribing to our channel if you haven't already. I will be sure to break this episode up into two or three different segments and repost those so that some nobody has to kind of sift through this as well as i'll put the chapters in the description so guys listen have an incredible wednesday and uh i'll talk to you next time peace